So good to hear from the incredible organization, Foster Nation. They do so much for kids who are in foster care and in the foster care system. You know, it's really our heart as a church that we wouldn't just be a voice for uh, children in a way that's biblical, but not in a way that's practical. I believe the church should lead the way in foster care, should lead the way in adopting foster children. And I really believe that this organization specifically does such a great job. We've partnered with them in the past to give meals uh, to foster children where someone who was hungry that was a foster kid could literally text and uh, say that they would uh, were in need of a meal and Foster Nation would send them a text back, this is where you can go pick up something to eat right away, fully paid for. And so we were able to partner with them to help do things just like that. So you're giving really matters and i understand that uh, maybe uh, a thousand or two to two thousand people are watching right now wanting to hear the sermon but but and you can hear the sermon and you will but this is a really important moment to participate in what the lord is doing so maybe you've never given to oasis before i, I want to challenge you if this community has blessed you if these sermons have blessed you will you be a part of what god is doing even for the very first time. You know, some people have been sponsoring a tank of gas. You can say, hey, I wanna help Foster Nation. Whatever it is, um, you can join that journey of giving today. No amount is too small. We can all come together and do something powerful if we just do what we have uh, or give what we have. And so I wanna encourage you, and if you normally give your tithes and offerings, which is 10% of your income, I wanna thank you for doing that. That really helps the church be the church. And so thank you for your faithfulness with doing that. Uh, we'll never take that for granted, uh, that you trust God and trust the church in that way. So I'm gonna pray for the offering. You can go to oasisla.org forward slash give, and I believe God is going to uh, bless you as he always does. So Father, I thank you for who you are and what you're doing in this church regarding generosity. May our generosity overflow because of the thanksgiving that's in our heart. And God, as always, will you bless both the gift and the giver. We thank you so much, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> now, Colton said earlier, which he's right, that we're going to be in about eight weeks of worship. And I really just have been spending time uh, studying God's word regarding the tabernacle. If you haven't got a chance to watch last week's sermon, uh, I want you to double up this week, uh, watch this sermon, but go back and watch uh, week one on uh, the gate of Thanksgiving. We're going through eight uh, very specific pieces of furniture that were in the uh, Old Testament tabernacle. And just to catch you up really quick, uh, the temple would be the permanent place of God's presence that God uh, had built through Solomon. And the tabernacle was the temporary place of God's presence that they built. It was a tent of meeting that they built while they were in the wilderness, Israel, uh, to help them navigate their transition from freedom to promise. And it's really important that you understand that about the promises of God, that it is the presence of God that helps you transition to the promises of God. I'm going to say that again because it's so fire. I said the presence of God is what helps you transition to the promises of God. And the presence of God uh, in the Old Testament through the tabernacle had rules and regulations and things uh, training Israel to understand how to please God. And if you have a big dream or a big promise or something you're believing for, this is the season where you would truly understand what pleases God. I think it's often mixed where we try to please people and God, 
uh, or we please culture in God. And it's not the Bible that sets the tone of what we're to believe. Sometimes it's the culture or what's acceptable to our friends or what's acceptable to, to people in the world, what's acceptable to this person or that person. And while I want to love people where they're at, they cannot change the rules uh, and make what's biblical cultural. We have to understand what does it mean to please God. Now, I want to encourage you that this came before Jesus. All of these rules we're talking about, I don't want you to process this like, oh, these are all the things that I had to do if God is going to be pleased. No, this represents who Jesus is. And then Jesus came, fulfilled the entire law, and then died in our place so that now that God could be permanently pleased with you. The reason why we're taking a look at the Old Testament about what pleased God is so you could understand what did Christ do that once and for all made God pleased with you forever. He's pleased with you, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. And so if we don't look at who Jesus is through the picture of the tabernacle, we will not understand who God really is. And I want to encourage you uh, in this uh, uh, time to really lean in, read some of these scriptures for yourself. Uh, We're in a series, Family Values, y'all. And we talked about we give together, we eat together, and we're on, we worship together for a while now because I said last week, if you don't get worship right, you get nothing else right. And so turn your Bibles if you have them. We're going through the eight uh, 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 furniture pieces uh, in, in the tabernacle. Last week, we talked about the gate, the entryway. Anybody thankful this week for Jesus? We talked about the gate of Thanksgiving. And now we're talking about the courtyard, the courtyard of praise. It says the Marriott. I mean, if we're going to talk about the tabernacle, I think we need to get to presence of the Lord. We got to be up a little bit past Marriott. Marriott doesn't sound like it's the glory. Uh, Somebody back here is uh, worshiping on a budget. Uh, But I think that if we're going to talk about the courtyard and not the Marriott, you know, we got to step it up a little bit. But Leviticus 1, come on, Leviticus. Yeah, yeah, we going there, Grace. (laughs) Listen, man, it's Leviticus. Man, it's been a while. I don't think I've ever preached a sermon out of Leviticus. Leviticus 1, verses 1 through 3 says this. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. And this is the most important part. If his offering is a burnt offering from the, from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall offer a male offering, so a male lamb or a male goat. The most important, uh, most important being a male lamb without blemish, which you're already seeing how this points to Jesus. Jesus was the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the earth was laid. So they're bringing a real lamb. They're not bringing Jesus. They're bringing a real lamb symbolizing what would happen on the cross. The lamb would be slain for you and I. So he shall bring that male without blemish. Watch this. He shall, he shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. So, so we're talking about acceptance. And a lot of times we get um, uh, you know, emails talking about, do you accept me? Or do I, am I accepted? Uh, we want to be accepted in circles. I want to be accepted. What I feel like the church has done wrong is that they've made certain people more accepted than other people. Wow. 
Meaning that, oh, if you're this way or this is your sexuality, then you're not accepted. But this guy can be on his third marriage and drink every night to put himself to sleep and come on in, there's grace for you. And so we haven't done it. We've, we've basically said there's respect, there's levels to sin. God says, I'm no respect of person. The wages of all sin are death and, and everyone's a sinner. And so we've made certain people more acceptable than others. And I think that's where the church made a mistake. Where people have made a mistake, because we, if we're going to talk about the church, we got to talk about culture. Where culture has made a mistake is that they want to be accepted for who they are, not who Christ is. I'm already preaching. We, so we come up with phrases in the church like, come as you are. And that's not what happened in the Old Testament. They did come as they are, but the only reason they could get in is because with them was a lamb without blemish. So it says, he shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. So they're dragging in a spotless lamb and, and what's being inspected is the lamb, not the person. So we're messing up as a church when we inspect people, not the lamb. We mess up as a people when we don't bring Jesus and we want to be expected and told that we're accepted. No, no, no. You got to understand this. No matter who you are, no matter what you are, no matter if the Lord should inspect you, you would be found unacceptable. It's one of the things that if we, have, if we understand the gospel, if the Lord were to inspect me, I would be found unacceptable. If the Lord would inspect you, you would be found unacceptable. What culture says is inspect me, my desires, who I say I am, and find me acceptable when biblical truth is all men, all creation is only acceptable through the unblemished sacrifice of Christ, the Lamb of God. Man. When you come in church, you come in church with the unblemished sacrifice, the Lamb of God, Jesus himself, which is why you can be acceptable because you're not being inspected. Judgment day is when God inspects you. The year of the Lord's favor is from here to judgment day, God inspects Christ. And as long as Christ comes up clean, so do you. As long as Christ comes up righteous, so do you through faith in Jesus. This is the most important thing. The reason why you can come as you are is because we worship the King of Kings, the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the earth was laid. This is the gospel message right in Leviticus. And if you're not careful, you can read Leviticus and you're like, no, 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 no. Jesus is in every passage of scripture. Why is this important? This is important because we're talking about these, these furniture pieces in the tabernacle. And last week, we talked about the gate of thanksgiving. But I'm trying to give you a visual that as they walked into the gate, they, yes, would be thanking God, uh, enter his courts with thanks, uh, his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. But they would also have an animal with them that they were getting ready to put to death. Now, what did the animal represent? Sin. So they brought the animal in without blemish. It was a perfect animal. And then the priest would lay hands in the courtyard, lay hands on the person who was sinful, lay hands on the animal who was sinless, transferring, representing, transferring the sin from the person to the animal. And then they would kill the animal on the altar in the courtyard, representing that sin in you must die. 
And then because their sins from in that moment had been removed, it would release this praise into the courtyard, which is why the word says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. What are we praising God for? Not just that we got the promotion, not just that we got the new house, not just that we booked a commercial with Walmart like Brandon Hunter Davis did. Yes, those things are amazing because Brandon Hunter Davis is going to buy me stuff with his prosperity because we have that relationship. So I'm excited for him, but I'm also excited for me because the richer he becomes, the more that he pays for golf, the more that we can go to the finest golf. So I'm praising God about that, but I can't allow myself to praise God more for that than the fact that the Lamb of God put my sin on him. The Bible says Jesus became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And if you don't praise God for that, then nothing God does, you will find praiseworthy. Your praise will be temporary. Because if you can't praise God for what he did, that's eternal. You won't praise him for what he's doing that's temporary in this lifetime. So our praise has to come out of the heavenly realm. You have to understand Praise is happening in heaven right now. So you don't praise God from the earthly realm. You praise God from the heavenly realm. You partner with the praise in heaven to release the praise in heaven on earth. And wherever God is being praised, he's moving. It says he's enthroned on the praises of his people. So that means that you release what's happening in heaven on earth in every circumstance. I feel somebody should just release praise in the chat right now. Not the praise that you got a job. I hope you got the job, but the praise of heaven where God is being continually praised. It's the eternal realm. And the Bible says that that God has put eternity in our hearts and culture wants to put a dream in our heart. No, when you have eternity in your heart, the dream, when you have eternity in your heart, the dream's a given. Because, Because all dreams that our God dreams have eternal impact. They have generational impact. And so this is important for us to understand that they were going through the gates with thanksgiving and in the courtyard, they would would bring their animal to sacrifice, the animal representing the sin. And when the animal was sacrificed, they would understand their sins had been removed and they would praise the Lord. That is real worship. When's the last time you praised God that your sins have been removed? The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so are your sins removed from you. When is the last time? I had a rough night last night. I ain't gonna front. Rough lot night, rough week, rough month. And I'm like, Lord, what is going on? Why do you have me doing a sermon on praise when I'm struggling? And he said, when's the last time that you praised me for your sins being removed? When's the last time that you said, God, thank you. You are good. When's the last time you shouted over your, yes, I know what you're believing for, but I removed your sins. That is what released praise in the courtyard is the removal of sin. And I feel like we're locked up in our praise because we don't value our sins being removed. Because some of us make our sins our identity. Some of us make our sins our insecurity. Some of us make our sins our identity, which means we're prideful about them. And some people make our sins our insecurity, which means it's a false sense of guilt. There's no repentance. You just feel bad about yourself. And God removed all of that. He removed the sins you make your identity and he moves the sins you make your insecurity so you can stand before him righteous. This is what happened 
in the courtyard. The insecurity got put on the lamb. The identity got put on the lamb. And we all together have one identity, sons and daughters of the most high God. This is what released praise in the courtyard. In scripture, though, this is important. This all points to Jesus. Because even last week, I talked about Thanksgiving, but that's kind of our entryway into this tabernacle, if you will. But John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says this, I am the gate. So Jesus called himself the gate. So as they were walking in through uh, the tabernacle to to, uh, sacrifice the animal representing their sin being removed, they were walking through Jesus to even sacrifice. So if you're even in the position where you can offer up a sacrifice, you've already passed through Jesus. In the tabernacle, there was one way in and one way out. That was it. And that gate represented Jesus. He is the only way to the Father. Now you have to understand Jesus is not the only way to God. It never says that. When we just stand and say, Jesus is the only way. No, he's not. You can get to God plenty of ways. I got to God through doing a bunch of crazy stuff and God met me when I was high on the couch and God met me in the love. So I got to God. I only got to the Father. That's what scripture says. No one can come to me except through the, no one can come through the Father except through me. It's important we understand that. And so Jesus is saying in John 10 verse nine that he is the gate. And watch this. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and find good pastures. They will come and go freely. So the whole purpose of the gate in the courtyard is that once your sins are removed, you can come and go freely. And everywhere you go, you'll find good pastures. Church is not the only place to find good stuff. It says you can come and go freely. If you want to come on Sunday, you can come on Sunday. If you don't want to come, you can. it's not about God will bless you if you come. God will bless you either way as you come and go. Now watch this. If you leave the, ch- this is, oh my God, I feel the whole, I feel the anointing. Why does it say if you, co- you can come and go as you please? Because there's only one way in and one way out. It means that if you come to the church through Jesus, you will find green pastures. And if you leave the Sunday service or the church or the community through Jesus, you'll find good pastures. You can't come to the gate through Jesus and leave through a fence and expect, that's not, there's no gate name offense. There's no gate name anger. So when people leave the church because they're upset with the church, that's not a gate. If you leave the church because you're upset with the church, you climbed over the wall of the tabernacle. And once you be climbing over the wall of the tabernacle, you're designated an enemy. No one's allowed to touch the wall. The walls were white and clean, and everybody's tent would have been gray and black, except for the walls of the tabernacle, and you weren't allowed to touch that wall. You can't just climb out any old way. You come in through Jesus, you leave through Jesus. If you come in through Jesus and leave through a fence, then it messes up the good pastures that the shepherd Jesus Christ has for you. This is good. That's why I've been mad at the church a million times, but I don't go through that gate. That's not the gate. I don't go through the gate of offense. I don't go through the gate of bad preaching. I don't go through the gate of, if God has called me in the gate through Jesus, then he has to call me out of the gate through Jesus. This is wildly important. If you come and go freely through the gate, you will find good pastures. I don't need to be connected. I need a gate. I don't need to network. I need a gate. 
as long as I'm coming and going into the entertainment industry through the gate, I'm going to find good pastures. But if I come in through the gate and leave through networking and manipulation, that ain't good pasture. Come on. This tabernacle is no... Is Leviticus already blessing you? Come on. Yes. And, and why is this uh, so profoundly important that it says, not you will come and go freely, they... Because there were corporate promises of God, not just personal ones. And I I really want, uh, Colton and Jessica talked about this early, but I really want somebody to stop right now and fill out an online connect card at oaslaorg forward slash online connect. Because there are corporate promises that God has for you that has for, it says they will come and go freely. And when you're thinking about the promises of God as you will come and go freely, then God probably has given you enough for you. But as soon as God can give you enough for them, they and we, you are walking in real blessing. I want you to read Hebrews 13, uh, 15, 16, which really also will represent the praise that happens as they went into the courtyard with this uh, uh, animal that was to be slain for their sin. It says Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. Through him, Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So it's literally giving us a picture of walking through the gate, offering up a sacrifice of praise, meaning that it was the sacrifice of the animal that released the praise of the people in the courtyard. And what I am encouraging you and I to understand, it is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that should release the praise of believers for all of eternity. And yes, I hope you have a praise report uh, from God for your, your job or your family, but the biggest praise report there ever was is that our sins were removed, and this is what happened in the courtyard. It, this is important because uh, uh, when I'm reading this, I'm like, okay, a sacrifice of praise, right? So it sounds like God is trying asking us to make sacrifices. Um, I remember when Dallas was like two or three years old, uh, I had bought him like a uh, whatever, a six-count nugget or an eight-count nugget from Chick-fil-A, something like that. And I asked him for one. And I could see him wrestling with this sacrifice, not understanding that the only reason he could give me one is because I gave him eight. This is why people wrestle with the time. We don't think the 100% comes from God, so then we don't give to God because we don't think the 100% gave from God. But it's not a sacrifice. If I gave it to you, it's an offering. The difference between a sacrifice is that it belonged to you. Christ's life was his own, so what Christ did was a sacrifice. Anytime we give to God, we got to be careful that we don't view it too much as a sacrifice because it's an offering. I'm returning something back to God that was given to me first. And Dallas didn't want to share that nugget, and I had to mature him to understand that as his father, um, there's more where that came from. Can I speak that to somebody right now, that there's more where that came from? And if you understand that you are connected to a source that will continue to resource, you can understand that there is more where that came from. This is a profound, unbelievable perspective on what released praise in God's people in the courtyard. Um, I'm going to try my best not to go over time, so I'm going to keep going. Um, But Hebrews 9, we're going to read quite a few verses because Hebrews 9 is one of the most comprehensive passages of Scripture to really explain what I'm talking about. And if you understand that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, 
coming through the gate, which is Jesus himself, entering into the sacrifice of, uh, entering into the courtyard with praise, not because of the animal we brought, but because of the son of God that was slain. It should release praise in your life forever. Hebrews 9 verse 1 says this, and I'm going to read as many verses as I feel like I can because it's a lot of verses, but hey, it's the Bible, so we'll be all right. It said that first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. The first covenant had a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in that tabernacle, and the first room were a lampstand, which we'll uh, jump into that in, a, in a, a week or two. A table and a sacred loaves and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place where the priests would offer prayers to God, where the light uh, of the lampstand was the only light in the temple. That represents the light of God as the only light in the temple. And it says on verse three, then there was a curtain and behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. In that room, were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant. And this really represents the glory of God. And this was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a jar containing manna, Aaron's staff uh, that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the Ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in details now. Uh, the reason why they're not explaining it is because they were talking to devout uh, Israelites who actually knew everything behind that. So although they didn't stop to explain it, I will. Uh, in the Holy of Holies, we're going to progress into that uh, towards the end of this series on worship, was the Ark of the Covenant representing the full glory of God. So I want you to just understand this. When I'm saying into the gate with thanksgiving, uh, into the courtyard of praise, we're not stopping here. The, the, the whole idea was that through what happened, through the levels of the ta- passing through the tabernacle, that the priests would be able to enter behind the veil and minister to God, putting the blood from the sacrifice on the mercy seat of the Ark of Covenant. God would be, per- would be pleased and it would shoot the glory of God out of the temple, representing that God's goodness had come upon Israel. The whole purpose of that was that God would be pleased. And when God is pleased, his goodness is revealed to you and I. So behind that veil, it says, was the Ark of the Covenant, which contained, which represented the glory of God. In that Ark of the Covenant, that wooden chest, were uh, a gold jar containing manna, uh, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. All three of these things, Bible scholars agree, represent the rebellion of Israel. So I want you to understand this. Inside, what represents the presence of God covered was the rebellion of people. So the presence of God literally covered the rebellion of people. It contained it. And so what God was saying is these things that represent rebellion are covered by the blood of the sacrifice. So all the rebellion that remains in us, all the things in us that we do that are against God's word that people want to shout at us and judge us for, the Bible says is covered by the blood of the most perfect sacrifice. And it says in verse 6, when these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place and only once a year. 
And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented was still in use. This is so important to understand is that even though we're learning about this system, what Christ did ended the system. Now you don't have to go through all these things to encounter God. Christ did all of this stuff. So you have to, this is so unbelievably profound to me that what a priest had to do over and over and over again, you don't have to do. You can just be right there where you are encountering God's presence freely. You can come and go as you are please, as you please. And it says the tabernacle in verse nine is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priest offer are not able to cleanse the conscience of the people who bring them. Anybody feeling guilty right now for something they've done? What the priest does, what the pastor does, what the church does, this system that we have created can never clean the human conscience. It is only faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that will cleanse you from your sin, but also from your guilt. This is, this is something that we got to get better at, that there's nothing the church can do that can cleanse you internally or externally. Only Christ can do that. It says, for that old system deals with only food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect until a better system could be established. What is the better system of the tabernacle? Christ. Look at verse 11. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that has come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever, for all of eternity. This is crazy. And I gotta skip down the verse 16, because I wanted to read this whole thing, but I don't have time. Can y'all do me a favor and read Hebrews 9? Because somebody's about to get set free when I read verse 16. Listen to this. Now, when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. That is why even the first covenant was put in effect with the blood of an animal. I feel like, I'm about to break this coffee mug. Every week I'm going to break something. Did you hear what I just said? We have incomplete theology when we say that the only reason Christ died was for our sins. No, Christ died to release the will of God, the inheritance of God to the people of God. Because if he was alive, the will and the inheritance cannot be released. You get an inheritance when the person giving the inheritance passes away. So Christ said, I got to die to release the promises of God 
over your life. When they brought the animal into the courtyard of praise and it was sacrificed, not only did they know they were forgiven, but the promises of God had been released over their lives because the will and the inheritance of God had kicked into the people of God. When you worship God on Easter, you're not just worshiping that Christ died, you're worshiping that the will, the inheritance, the promises of God got released into your life. I feel like preaching. This is unbelievable. That is why even the first covenant was put in effect with the blood of an animal for after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all of the people. He took the blood of calves and goats along with the water and sprinkled both the book of the God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wood. And then he said, the blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without shedding, the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals over and over and over again. But Jesus' blood shed one time on the cross, did all of this forever. Never again do we have to pay for our sins because Christ paid for our sins. And not only, just like in the courtyard, did it remove the sins of the people, but also just like in the courtyard, it released the inheritance and the promises of God over the people of God. And that's why they were in the courtyard praising God. If you... If you feel like you have to work for what God has for you, which it involves work, but you're not working for it, you're working in it. They didn't work for the promised land. They worked in it. And the battles, the very first battle, there was not one single battle in the wilderness. All they did was, was learn how to worship God. So if you are in a battle for what you think God has for you, you're not in the wilderness. You're in the promised land. Not one act of warfare was in the wilderness, only obedience. So if you feel like every time you feel called to do something, it's a battle, or every time you feel like it's a battle, you're in the promised land. And the forces of darkness want to stop you from getting what God has for you. So the battle is a confirmation of the destination on your life. You're in it. Oh, my God. I'm, what can I break? No, I I need to break something. In the wilderness, all there was was manna. In the wilderness, all there was was glory. In the wilderness, there was the law and obedience to God. There were no battles in the wilderness. There was just obedience in the wilderness. So if you're in a battle, that means you've done something right. You've crossed over into your promised land. This is profoundly, wildly important that we understand this. Christ did this for you and I. I'm just, I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my mind. And here's what's crazy. This released the praises of God. And I think sometimes when we praise God, this isn't easy. And I've been thinking a lot about our worship songs. I think a lot of our worship songs that we write are a bit cleaned up. Like I feel like the first sometimes we think is we got to make God look good. We got to make God look good. Like, we, we can't have anything negative in the songs. But, like, what if our song was like, hey, I'm so tired. 
I'm tired. Yeah. And the chorus is like, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> Lord, where are... That, that, those were Psalms. Yeah. Psalm 137, verse 1 through 4, when the people were in captive, say this. They're in captivity to Babylon. Remember, they had gotten freedom. They learned to worship and praise God in the wilderness. Yeah. And when they broke the worship and the praise rules, they ended back in what would be a second Egypt, which is Babylon. And now they were in bondage all over again from not doing what they learned in the wilderness. That's why these messages are so important because yes, you've been freed by Jesus, but if you don't do what we learned to do in the tabernacle, you'll end up in another situation where you're in bondage. And this is what happened to Israel. And they say in Psalm 137 verses one through four, beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of, of poplar trees. For our captives demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. So they were taken in captive by Babylon, and then Babylon asked them to praise and worship. By the way, your praise is entertainment if the enemy knows he has you in bondage. Oh, my God. I'm going to say it again. Your praise is entertainment to the enemy if he knows he has you in bondage. Wow. He's like, sing those songs. You're not going to follow the word. You're not going to be obedient to God. Clap your hands all you want to. You sound so good. Matter of fact, switch to this, the key of C because you sound so awesome. I know I got you. I know you don't believe God. I know you don't believe God's word. I know you're insecure. I know you're ashamed. I know you're guilty. Go ahead and sing. Entertain demons with praise from a person in bondage. That's what it says. Our captors wanted us to sing because they knew that, that you were disobedient and now you were ours. So sing all you want to, doesn't matter. You can sing and, and, and have heaven in church, but you got hell at home, so sing all you want to. Sing all you want to. And it says, but how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? What's really cool about this, they're saying, how can we sing a worship song? How can we sing a song? They're singing a song about not being able to sing a song. <laughs> Psalm 137 is a worship song. The song is about, I don't have a song. So when you have writer's block, you can sing a song, why aren't you giving me the words to sing and you're worshiping? We think it's the content that's worship. No, it's the heart. Because wow. this is a worship song. And they're singing about not being able to sing, and it's still a song. They're like, how can we sing? They just put it in melody, and God counted it as a song. And the enemies were entertained. Their enemies were entertained by worship singers in bondage. That's what I believe makes a church entertainment. Not lights, not size, not donuts, not free coffee. People in bondage singing is entertainment. When it's about how it sounds, not are they free? Have we released them into freedom through the power of the gospel? If you think about this, although it sounds crazy and complex, Psalm 92 gives us a picture on why God wanted people in the courtyard. Why did God want people in the tabernacle? Why does God want people praising him? Psalm 92 Verse 13 through 15 says, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. It was about you flourishing. And it says they will still bear fruit in old age. 
So when you handle the courtyard properly, when you handle praise properly, there is no expiration date on your dreams, calling, or purpose because of how old you are. God, I'm going to break something. I, I, I can't handle this. And by the way, the Hebrew word for planted is transplanted. And how do you transplant a plant? You dig up the dirt around it and you move them from one place. In this season, God is digging around the dirt of what you put your identity in. God is digging around the soil of what you put your hope in. God is digging around the soil of, of what you've, of the sin and some of the things you've rooted your life in. And he's carefully transplanting you from one place to the house of God. You are not, you don't show up to the house of God. You were planted or transplanted by God himself in the house of the Lord. And the whole point is that you would flourish not only today, but in your old age, they stay fresh and green. I can't read this without thinking of outcast song. They will still bear fruit in old age. They'll stay fresh and green. So fresh and so green, green. You'll stay fresh and green. Proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. If we understand this, y'all, and I can't believe I'm, I'm only three minutes over, so I'm praising God. If we understand this, man, I wish I should just, I'm going to start over. Leviticus 1, verse 1 through 3. Y'all about to hear this whole sermon again. I'm not ending it. This is about to be, an, I'm just going to preach the whole thing again because I feel this so strong in my spirit. Y'all, we cannot have worship that in captivity. It is the sacrifice of Jesus that frees us and we got to stop worshiping and, and then doing things against the word that leave us in bondage because the enemy will be entertained by our worship. We have to understand the whole point of this. Once Christ was a sacrifice, now the whole point is that his sons and daughters would flourish in the house of God. And it is my prayer for y'all that you will continue to flourish in the courts of God's house. Meaning the courts was not, you weren't even on the inside where worship was happening. You were flourishing in the courts. And what made you flourish in the courts? Forgiveness of sin through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ that replaced the imperfect sacrifice of animals. This is so important that you receive this today. And so right now, wherever you're watching, I want you to understand that Jesus loves you so much. John 3, 16 is true for that for so God, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die for you and I, that whoever would believe would have eternal life. And so right now I'm praying that eternity is going into the hearts of believers and that we would understand that not only are our sins removed from us, but just like it said in Hebrews 9, that when uh, the in the old testament when someone died when the animal died it was it was the final death to release the will and promises of god to the people and so this is what made them praise the lord that their sins were removed and the death of the animal had released the promises of god the same is true today but even more powerfully christ has removed our sins and released the promises of god to the sons and daughters of god so i pray as we receive this deep into our hearts that we be able to follow you jesus in a way that is more radical and more profoundly transformative than the passive way we have followed you in our past lord just continue to convict and shape and transform your people by the power of your holy spirit and the truth of your word we're so grateful in jesus name amen amen, amen. Love y'all so much. You are amazing. 
Uh, can't wait to share week three with you guys on worship. I hope this encouraged somebody today. It definitely encouraged me. And I apologize uh, for uh, threatening to break things, but I just got hype. This is great, man. Y'all gonna be all right. We're gonna be all right together as a community. Love y'all so much. Don't forget to fill out that online connect card, oasisla.org forward slash connect. Online connect, yeah, forward slash online connect. Do it right now, right now as the service is ending their corporate promises for the people of God. Love you so much, and I'll see you soon.